Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. Hey everyone, here's a this is going to be a really fun episode, one of our, our listener-supported, uh, community-sourced episodes, which are so far turning out to be really fun to do. I'm here with a member of our Rebel Health Tribe community, Amber Deanne. Amber, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, this was an idea we came up with when we were trying to do something unique with the podcast is people are used to hearing from certain guests and certain people in the functional medicine world. And we're lucky enough that a lot of them trust us, us enough to come on our things. But then I was like, how can we make this more fun and engaging and how can we involve more people? And so we put out a, a little APB out to our, our community and asked for their healing journey stories. And yours is one that came in that really grabbed my attention and I feel is one that needs to be shared. And so um, it's been really fun getting to know and meet and talk to some of our people who are valuable members of our, our audience and our community. And it's fun to, to bring you on to be on the other side of the camera. So I hope that you enjoy the, the experience here. And oh. I just appreciate in advance because um, I know enough about your story to know that this is going to be really powerful for people to hear. So thank you for volunteering to, to share it. Thank you for having me here. I love it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so I guess uh, we'll just go back to the beginning. And um, I'm going to put a little trigger warning out there for people in the audience on this one. We're going to talk about some sensitive subjects a little bit, uh, just to let everybody know. And um, we're going to start back at the beginning where you know, you have now done a lot of work and a lot of healing and a lot of growth work. And so now you kind of have a really solid understanding of where your chronic health issues and, and mental health challenges and things stemmed from. So I will let you yes. yeah. describe and explain that in the way that feels good to you and kind of set the stage for, for how you wound up, where you wound up to even need a healing journey. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'll start from the beginning. My uh, parents were in World War II and they were working in Omaha for insurance companies. They all had nice jobs and they loved their social life even though you know they weren't making a lot of money. And then my mother got pregnant after four years of marriage and she was shocked and she didn't like this and she wasn't happy and then dad wasn't happy because at that time when you worked if you're a woman working in an insurance company, and you got pregnant, you were fired. No questions asked. That was it. They were not putting up with that, especially after, during the war years and shortly after. So mom got fired from her job and then dad had to leave too. So they had to leave Omaha and they moved in to uh, my, my mother's parents. They had a farm in uh, that part of Nebraska. And, but the problem was my mother didn't like my, her mother. So there was a lot of friction there. And my grandmother didn't like my father. So, we're, so right away, here she is pregnant, got delivered the baby. And now she's in this really tense, stressful situation 
which was her birthplace, which she never got along with anybody in the first place and she would, didn't know what to do, you know. So she's really upset. So from there, they eventually found a farm and rented it and then became farmers because that's what my dad wanted to do. Then they eventually bought farm. They became very successful with what they were doing. But my dad was a workaholic. My grandfather, my mother's father was a workaholic. Uh, there was a lot of family dynamics in there that were gonna create a lot of stress and they were gonna create stress on me. So I was the one that was blamed for tearing up my mom's life in Omaha and ruining everything she had planned because she now had to be a farm wife and a mother. So, she so it was your fault she lost her job at her career. They lost their fault. social life there. They lost all of those things. She lost everything. So it was all my fault. So she carried this revenge against me for a long time. And uh, as you know, when you do some functional medicine, the stress hormones develop and the they, they move from the mother into the child, into the womb. And now the child has as much trauma and stress as the mother did. She's not even born yet. So, so when I was born, mom said it took three days in labor to have me. And then I didn't want to be touched by her at all. So every time she touched me, I screamed. So that is a bad start already to have for a life. And then, then after that, um, a lot of things happened and I was abused in a lot of different ways, but I don't remember it. When I was almost eight years old, my brother was born and that's when my memory kind of kicked in. It was like I had an energy transfusion and now I was awake and I was alive. And here I was on the farm and trying to cope with the whole situation. Everybody was still angry at me. Now all the tension is focused on my brother. He gets all the praise and he, the glory and the constantly taking care of him because he's a man and he's gonna help run the farm and all of this kind of stuff. So I was ignored and there wasn't any security. There wasn't any safety. There wasn't any trust because every time mom got upset about some little thing, she blew up and she started to hit me. And so I grew up with an overactive nervous system. I grew up with the fight, flight, or freeze thing going on 100 times a day, you know, and it was, I had bad dreams, I had uh, all kinds of things I couldn't relate. I ended up, um, the first couple of years of school, I did very poorly. I think I had D's and F's and everything. Something happened when I turned eight, and then I had that energy transfusion, and then I could do good in school. So while I was being ignored by my dad, ignored by my brother and abused by my mom, emotionally, mentally and everything, my outlet was going to school. So I went to school, I got good grades, things were moving along really well. When I was um, 10, I said to my parents, you're gonna buy me a piano. And they go, what? You know, nobody in here plays the piano. You know, we don't do, we don't do music. I said, you're buying me a piano and you're gonna do it now. So let's get going here. So they did. And that turned out to be the saving thing that calmed my mother down. Because when I played piano, her nerves calmed down. That's what allowed me to get through the next 18 years without us beating each other up. Too bad. So she was still had emotional abuse. Uh, all the things I did, she, she didn't like spending money on me. She didn't like um, about anything with me. And the const she had a constant feud with her mother. 
So I was always in the middle of a feud someplace. She was either arguing with dad or arguing with her mother. And I had to go along all the time. And then my grandfather died when I was 13 and then things got really bad <laughs> between my mom and my grandmother. So there was a lot of stress there. So when I turned 18, I said, now you're gonna pay for me to go to college. And they did, it took some work. Mom had to convince dad because he had the old time philosophy that women don't need an education, all that stuff. So through, high, through grade school, I felt I fit in because we was all dealing with country kids. When I got to high school, when I got to college, I didn't fit in at all because I didn't have the social skills. I didn't have that bonding. I didn't have that attachment. I was learning to be self-sufficient. You know, when I was home and I tried to be self-sufficient, I tried to read a book. I tried to paint something. I tried to um, do something. Um, something to always, stay out of the way. I would, mom would always squelch it. Oh, you can't do that. We, we got farm work to do. We've got produce to do. We've got, you know, strawberries to pick. We've got da, 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 da. So there was always something going on, pulling me in all these directions. So I never got to figure out who I was, what I liked, where my skills were, how I was even going to fit in and relate to the world. But I knew that I had to get away from mom. So I finally got through. So I got through college. I got pretty good grades. Uh, then I got out from school and I had no skills to function in the real world. And I was bouncing from job to job to job and it was really disgusting. So those first years when I was young, I had to deal, I had, I was very shy. So I stuttered and I, I just couldn't find my way. I didn't feel I could make friends. Friends were not allowed in the family. You know, I couldn't bring people over overnight. I couldn't have friends over. I couldn't go over to other people's house. So all the social arrangements were cut. Everything I wanted to do that was productive or creative or expressive was squelched. Everything had to be work on the farm and work, work, work. That's all my life was. So when I got out, I decided, you know, I still need to separate from my mom. So I married a man she didn't like. I thought that's going to do it. Now I can finally cut the cords and I can be away from mom, you know, I'll just get married. So I got married. He turned out to be an alcoholic. That didn't last but a couple of years. Now I'm back in the world by myself, trying to find my own way, bouncing from job to job to job. So I finally end up in, um, I finally end up in the 12-step program based on advice from my friend who had, was conquering her alcohol addiction. And that turned out to be my saving grace. That was the thing that allowed me to really start taking a look at myself, you know, pulling back the covers on all those emotions I had squelched, all that anger, all that fear, all that everything. But it was really hard because everything was not accessible. My conscious mind couldn't talk with my subconscious mind. So I, I had trouble feeling. Like, you know, I had trouble making, um, making friends, expressing myself, all that stuff was just huge problem. Which is totally understandable given you had no access to that and no demonstration to that and no attunement to that and no modeling of that and no, you know, no way to learn or. No. Yeah. So not only did I not have any feelings, I didn't have any respect for myself because 
you have you need a mother you need mirroring you need attachment you need mm-hmm. love bonds to to in order to build up those self-esteem channels in yourself so i didn't have any of that so after that my whole life had been a a progress a journey of okay how am i going to heal myself how do i put all of my pieces back together again and then the journey has been it's been difficult yes and i've had lots of uh, health problems along the way you know um when I, when I was a child, I had uh, a trench mouth. And then when I got older, I had uh, mercury poisoning about the time my father died and from several amalgam fillings in my teeth. And so that took a whole year to recover from that. And I was unemployed a lot. So I was living off, you know, welfare and food stamps and home and money from the home and everything. And it was just like, oh my goodness, this is a very difficult life. But once I moved to California and I started to, to absorb all the good things that were in California. And then things started to turn around. And one of the first things I did was when I moved here, I moved to straightly to Sacramento on a bus from Des Moines, Iowa. It took three days to get on a bus. I had one suitcase and I had a group home that I could stay at for a while after I got here. So it was a female group home and while I was in there waiting for my job opportunity to come through and all that stuff, I got to listen to Bradshaw. And Bradshaw had fantastic stuff. Bradshaw was big in the 80s and the 90s. He was really big. And I was listening to his stuff and he's analyzing the family and the family connections and the dynamics and how addictions are born and created. And I was going, oh my God, wow, this is cool. So I just absorbed everything he was saying. And then, and I got later on, I was, I got settled and then I could start buying the books and looking at my program and going to the psychics and the healers and everything. Were you pretty physically healthy as a, as a kid or in high school or college? Did, did you always have symptoms and issues and, and yes. things physically? I had, I had colds. I would get colds two or three times a year and they would last over a month each time. I was constantly blowing my nose. The sinuses were con- always draining. Other than that, I had good health. I didn't have any uh, chronic issues. I didn't have anything. You know, once in a while, I would get the flu. I had the measles, the chicken pox, all the standard yeah, yeah. childhood stuff. But my health was really good. All through grade school, high school, college, everything. And it wasn't until, um, like I say, a year after my father died that I got the silver amalgam fillings mm. and the mercury poisoning. How old were you when your father passed away? Uh, he passed away in 87. I was born in 50. So I was 37. Okay. And so and things kind of slid after that health wise. Things slid after that because he was, he was my uh, buffer between me and mom. Mm. And every time mom got ready to kill me, you know, dad would kind of step in and buffer that. And so when he died, I was like thrown, you know, a kilter. I didn't know where I was going, what I was going to do. How am I going to deal with mom by myself? Mom is a really tough cookie. And so it was very difficult how I was going emotionally, I felt drained and I knew I was going to have this constant battle with my mother and she was sick too. She smoked. And so she had coronary problems and all those kind of things. So she was never in a good mood and she never liked me anyway. So yeah, that was a real trip. But then after that, when I started to get on my journey, that's when I started to discover that all of this is ancestral 
pain, ancestral trauma, things that she couldn't process, her mother couldn't process, all that kind of stuff. And it was when I started to develop my psychic skills, when I started to do readings, when I started to connect with my spirit guide and all that, that's when all the information started to come out. That's when I could see what was really happening and why all the friction between us that I hadn't caused, I didn't think. And, and it was amazing because then I could start talk to my mother's soul. This was after she had died. She died in 2004. And she left me some money, which I used to publish and promote my book, buy a house, all that kind of stuff. So she was trying to take care of me financially. But, but here I was um, in all this trauma because not knowing how to deal with her. And then when I could start to connect with her psychically, when I started to talk with her soul, that's when all kinds of things opened up. And that's when I also learned more about the family history. And when I did, it was like amazing because then my heart, my cold heart, but anger at her, I hated her for all those years. But then my cold heart started to melt. And then I could see her as a real human being having all these challenges that she couldn't deal with. And she didn't have any resources because they weren't available then. And then it was like, okay. And that opened up a whole new sense of forgiveness. And so a lot of the ways that you share the, the story about, you know, they were forced to leave their social life and they were forced to leave this. And then they had to go live on a farm with her mom, who she didn't get along with, which was really stressful and difficult. Those are all perspectives that you have gathered as an adult and not necessarily because that's very empathetic or compassionate to like look at it like, yes, she was objectively terrible to me as a child and she was dealing with this and this and this and this and this intergenerational thing and the stuff put on by her mom and the stressful thing and having to leave a yes. career and having to leave a social life and all of that and that really um shifts something in us when we can understand and empathize with and um it doesn't make it yeah. right like that's i always want to just put that out there. It doesn't make it right that you as a child were treated in the way that you were, and it doesn't make it fair and it doesn't make it okay. And it doesn't change the damage that was done, but it allows the person, if there's somebody listening here, like to shift their current experience of that person. Yes. Like, and, and retroactively it shifts something as well. Um, I've found to be, cause there's people that were in my life when I was a kid that I didn't have that for, for a long time. And I carried a lot of animosity and like bitterness and anger and um, rage. And then now I see things much differently. And it's because I did the work to understand the dynamic and their experience and in their life, we, we create stories this person did this because of this, or this person said this because of this. And we don't consider any other possibility. And it's the story we run with. And as a kid, you know, the story that a child might create in that situation is, you know, you mentioned your self-esteem issues and your lack of ability to socialize and addiction and, and these things is I'm, I ruined my mom's life. Like I caused her to be like this. It's my fault. I'm the problem. I'm the thing that shouldn't exist. I'm X, Y, Z thing. 
because children don't have the capacity to see the bigger picture, to understand the dynamics in play. They just know that the person who's supposed to be taking care of me is scary and unsafe and does not take care of me. And then there's this like, like isolation. I'm guessing you didn't really have anybody to communicate any of that to or with as a kid. I didn't have anybody to talk to at all because you're very isolated on the farm Mm -hmm. and especially where we were and it was the fifties and then moved into the sixties and that wasn't available. Nobody Mm. was thinking about it in generational trauma. Nobody was thinking about problems of child abuse with the family. None of that existed until many years later on. But what you said was totally right. I had developed a, I'm not good enough I don't belong here kind of mentality. And I think that affected my, um, it was part of our aura. It affected my interactions with people. It affected my ability to get certain jobs. It affected everything. Because and your physical body. My, my physical body, uh. yeah. And and what ha- what happened was for when I was bopping around trying to find jobs after I graduated from college, I remember there were at least 10 years where I had to fight suicide thoughts Mm. and, and it was only one kind of suicide I was thinking about. And this was something that happened in my family. So it was like, I was going to repeat a suicide thing that was an accident, car accident in my family. And I was going to terminate myself because it didn't seem like anything was going to work in my life. And it didn't seem like anybody cared. There was nobody there for me, Mm. but I was able to, restrain myself so I wouldn't drive my car underneath the truck and and kill myself I was able to restrain myself or my spirit did for some reason and that's the only reason I'm here now because that went on for many many years but that all has to be something that comes up as a result of your subconscious saying you know okay it's the programming it's the story Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, that's K-I-T, and grab the RHT starter kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT Healthy Sleep Guide, the Wellness Vault coupon book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health-related tools and resources, a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. I picked up all these messages from my mom. You're not good enough. You don't belong here. Why do I have to deal with you? you know, and serve a function in this world, you'll never be anything, you know. All and you couple emotions. that with the stress, the utero stress, the in early childhood stress. And like, yes. I've done a lot of study the last few years on, on like child development and, and neurobiology. And for anybody listening who's interested in that, check out Dr. Dan Siegel's work. Uh, the Neurobiology of We is a great book. Um, he's at UCLA, I think, or UCSD or one of those, but um neurobiology of we explains a lot of how that happens and the the neuropathways that are affected as children when attunement is not present like regulated nervous system like we learn how to regulate our nervous system 
by attuning to a regulated nervous system. Like our nervous system is as much internal as it is like an antenna. And so we regulate to the nervous system and and infants, newborns um, and fetus, infant, newborn, like that level of child does not have the capability to self-regulate a nervous system. It, It doesn't have it. It has to learn. It has to attune to. And so when you're tiny and you freak out, and everything's going crazy. Like every panic for a baby is like an existential crisis. Like they're hungry. I'm going to die. <laughs> they're cold. <laughs> I'm going to die. Like everything is, I'm going to die. Like they don't even have the conscious ability to think I'm going to die, but like the level of fear instilled in a newborn or an infant when they're cold or they're hungry or they're confused or they're whatever, all of it is about survival. It's I'm going to die because we're actually like the, I don't know if this is true, but we're one of the most helpless creatures born like you look at like a a horse is born two hours later it's like trotting around yeah running like eating from mom or grass or what some some animals like eat right away other ones feed right away but they they can walk they can move they can run away from things they can do stuff Um, human children are helpless like completely helpless and completely dependent on the caretakers and that that nervous system attunement, if, if when we freak out, we don't receive an attunement to a nervous system that tells us, oh, this is okay. You're going to be okay. I'm okay. Look at me be okay. This is okay. You're going to be okay. Let's, let's calm this. Let's solve this problem. And then your nervous system realizes like, okay, this isn't the end of the world. This can calm down. And then you feel like that heightened thing drop. Uh, you eventually learn the ability to self-soothe and self-regulate and whatever. Um, those of us who didn't have that um, for one reason or another. So like, not only did you have these stories ingrained in your head that I'm no good, I ruined this, I don't belong, et cetera, et cetera. You also had a nervous system where every little thing that happened is a crisis for you. Like, is an alert, is an alarm, is unsafe, is whatever. And because it frankly was like things were dangerous, things were, you know, and then you, you don't have the, so it's like, it's like you caught yourself in like a double whammy, like the, the, the self-loathing type of story mixed with everything is a catastrophe on your system. So, and for people who don't understand this, it's like, if you miss a red light or something like it's it everything when your nervous system is like that every little thing that happens you know like something falls on the floor or um a phone call doesn't go right or like uh yes whatever yes. the thing is it it it's this charge um because when you're small you don't have a way to regulate your emotions mm-hmm. you don't have a way to deal with the trauma you can't move out of the fight or flights by yourself you have to get that from your parents. My my mother was always in a fight or flight yeah. kind of a thing. And my dad was a workaholic. So he was always pushing. Not present, not everything. able to be that. And, and my brother said, oh, you're crazy. I don't want anything to do with you. So there was no way for me to learn that. And that was part of my journey to learn how to do this. And I was really proud of myself because I would go to talk therapists, you know, after I got to be an adult and, and, they would sit and say, okay, now tell me your story and what happened and then what happened. And I said, after five minutes, I'm not going to sit here and tell you my story. 
you're going to have, you have either have a solution for me or I'm walking out of here because I know what my story is and I'm not just sitting here paying you a whole bunch of money to sit and ask me those questions if you don't have any kind of a remedy, you don't have any kind of a solution. This is crazy. So he would put me on an EMDR machine and I would do the watch, mm -hmm. watch this with the eyes and I'd be holding on to some electro, electro energy current going through my body and I would hear beep, beep, beep on years, you know, that would help for about a day. And then that all blew up too. So I said, okay, from the work I was reading from Bradshaw, I said, okay, I'm going to have to go back to my early childhood. I'm going to have to relive it the best I could, as normal as I could. So I pretended I was going to be a child again. I watched ch cartoons. I watched child movies. Mm. I read child books. I went to the playground and watched children play on that. I took courses at community college for child development. And then I worked for child uh, development agencies for a while, um, like, you know, uh, daycare stuff. And there's a part of you that really appreciated that. Yes. And there was a part of me. And then all the pieces started to fit in. Then I started to see what I had missed. Then I, or what I couldn't remember, what I had squelched because I had to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's when all these other things started to come in. And that was really the best therapy that I ever imagined because that activated the inner child part of me that I thought was dead. Mm -hmm. And now, and now I Who never that. got to be a child. And yeah, I never got to be a child. Like you were parenting your mother. Like, yeah, you probably became really hypervigilant and would learn what set her off or what, you know, because yes. I can relate to that. Like what, what would set her off and what would cause that to happen? And then it's your responsibility to make none of that happen. Yeah, well, yeah. it wasn't that I couldn't make it happen because I knew it was going to happen. But the thing of it was, I wasn't going to let her crush me. Mm -hmm. And I had this really strong desire, you know, if we have to fight it out to the end, I'm going to fight it out. But she's not going to crush me like a bug, you know. Yeah. So I would stand up for my rights and then she would stand up for hers. And we were working in the kitchen and I would turn on the rock music and she would turn it off and I would turn it on and she would well, turn it off. That's not getting to be a child. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we had all of this yeah. going on, you know, yeah. there was no time to read books, no time to listen to music, no time to do anything. Play, explore. No, you know, no time no. to play, explore. It was all had to be directed to the farm mm -hmm. and what made the farm work. So it was when I went to took the classes, tried to, to redevelop my child development issues, you know, that's when things started to perk up. Then I could move into the 12 step program which is, you know, for people mm -hmm. from dysfunctional addiction families. Yeah. That's when I learned to write, when I learned to feel, when I enjoyed poetry, when I enjoyed music, when I enjoyed ballads, when I enjoyed all kinds of things. And all that stuff started to perk up. And it was like, oh, man, there's a whole new world out there. You know, there's music and there's art and there's this and there's that. And, and it was like, okay, I could be part of it now and I could embrace it and I could use it and I could deal with it and I did and I've moved forward that's where I developed my creative writing so I've written two books since then I've written poetry I've taught uh, workshops uh, for women who also feel stuck and have had uh, family issues and I'm curious how your physical body responded when you started doing that work um, like the child work and the explorations and the art and the music and things like that like 
Well, my soul awoke then. I finally could wake up my soul. It was like, okay, I'm not just this body that I detest. I'm not just this energy spirit in this body, which doesn't even fit. My energy wasn't even flowing all the way through my body. My psychics, psychics would look at me and they'd say, why is your energy field ended your knees? You know, and I would go, I don't know what you're talking about. So then, because I didn't know what I was talking about, then I got to explore energy and energy healing and spirituality and, and the flow of energy and working with energy and that whole dynamic. And it was so cool. It was hard. I mean, it was the hardest thing because I had to pull physically, mentally pull and with imagination, my energy field back into my body because it had disappeared. The body code lady said, well, shortly after you were born, your spirit left your body because it couldn't cope with what you having to deal with at home. And you didn't, didn't come back in until you were almost eight years old, you know. And so the spirit and the body never really connected in a way that made you a functional whole person. No. So I had to phys- mentally, mentally, and imagination pull my, it took a long time. Then I had to feel my body and get acquainted with it like it was a stranger because yeah. I didn't. You know, well, it wasn't safe. No, there's, wasn't. there's actually a here. Actually, I think I'm using it as a stand for my microphone. Uh, yeah, this is a yes. book called The Five Personality Patterns. Um, it's by Stephen Kessler. It's based off the work of Reich, which was the first character styles look. And yeah. that is called The Leaving Pattern or a schizoid pattern, but it's uh, early childhood wound leaves the body as a defense mechanism. And um, it's very common actually for kids with various forms of trauma in childhood to not remember anything. It's actually like a key uh, clue when like in both of the trainings that I'm currently in, especially the one with Gabor Mate, um, when his work, if someone says they don't remember their childhood, but it was totally normal, Uh, that's like his first clue that there's a lot there to explore because not only from a spiritual standpoint and energetic, like you're talking about, like leaving and physically not being present and these two things being separate. There's also like you mentioned that, you know, your mother was extremely stressed when she was pregnant and was extremely stressed when you were young and that the stress hormones go in the child and the stress hormones actually inhibit the part of the brain that's essential for recall memory. So if a young child is very stressed, the part of their brain that is responsible for by recall memory, I I mean, like, because the the subconscious remembers everything. But by recall memory, I mean, like conscious memory, like I can't remember this thing, or I can't see this thing, or like, what we usually refer to as memory is actually recall. The subconscious mind remembers everything like that's stored in the body, it's stored in the mind. But like, the, the cortisol and the other stress hormones actually shut down the function of and development of the part of the brain that is essential for having those recall memories. So like my wife, she remembers stuff from when she was like two years old. She'll remember like a party she was at and what somebody was wearing. I don't yes. remember a, a thing un, until I was probably about five or six. And even then it's sketchy until later. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that pattern, if somebody's interested in learning about that, this book, The Five Personality Patterns, is uh, excellent. And it explains like how the origin of those, those patterns and leaving is just one of them. The schizoid, the not being present is just one of them. And it's usually related to pre-birth or birth trauma or really young 
trauma because you're like you said it in, in your words like the spirit or the energy like it's unsafe so checks out and it's you said your return as you explained it was when your brother was born right yes and so there was probably a deflection of some of the energy that you had been the primary recipient of uh you know gave a little space would be my unsolicited opinion on how that that might have happened but it was like i think think that happened too because now mom and dad had had other things to do they mm, had another another focus of their yes they had a child to raise and they had to groom him to take over the farm and they had they had a lot of work to teach him how to do everything Mm. and they didn't have all the time to be as me all the time and so you you got a a respite like a little bit of i got a little respite so it was like okay uh, there was some breathing room here Parents still didn't like me. Dad still didn't talk to me. Mom still emotionally. At least they're over there most of the rant, time now. <laughs> ranted on me all the time. But now her focus on to be, I have to keep my son alive. You know, mm. he's got allergies. He's got bronchial conditions. He's got, mm. this. doesn't matter. We got to keep him alive because he's carrying on the farm. Yeah. And he's, he's wise and he understands money and he can help us grow and, and prosper and all that stuff. And I was just, you know, another mouth to feed. I was mm. just a, a, just a thing that they had to deal with. So when, when you asked a while ago how this affected my body, when I was learning how to reconnect with my soul, feel my emotions, express myself, then it was a, like a brand new world. And my body was excited. It was like, wow, there is something to live for. There is some adventure in life. There are some good things in life. There are some positive things that make me feel good. But then um, as the years developed, you know, I still had challenges. I couldn't deal, I couldn't feel comfortable where I was living. I couldn't feel comfortable with my job. So I moved a lot. I changed jobs a lot until I got into hypnotherapy. And then I figured that, oh, this is my world, you know. But through COVID was another layer of stress. And then I, I left where I was living because I didn't like it. It was an old people's home, a senior citizen place. And they were pretty uh, controlling on us, on all of us. And that triggered me all the control from my parents. And I said, okay, I got to bust out of here. So I stayed with a friend for a couple of months in Sacramento. She didn't want me either. So she was emotionally abusive. So there's a whole nother layer of stress. So then I finally found this place in Reno and I'm moving in. And the night I, of my moving in, I'm very tired. It's late at night. I slip into the bathtub and fibromyalgia kicks in. All over my body is in pain, burning, itching pain from you deep from inside me. And I'm going, oh my God, what is all of this I have to deal with? So it took months and months uh, to deal with that. So while I had cleared off some layers of stress mentally and vibrationally, I hadn't dealt with the nervous system. And so now my whole focus these last couple of months has been resetting the nervous system so that I can function without pain, without all of this uh, stress and anxiety. So I get rid of the brain fog, I get rid of the pain, I get rid of the reactions. And while it's been difficult getting through all that physical pain, it's been a real eye-opener as to how to deal with the nervous system and how to learn to calm down and how to learn to breathe and how to learn to focus and enjoy nature and, and just 
expand that other aspect of me that is my inner child looking for comfort and peace. And, and you and you did do functional medicine work as well, in addition to that, yes. right? Because we before we went on, you shared with me your practitioner that is in yes. is yes. in Reno. So you were combining kind of that approach with doing the work on your nervous system and the inner child and the soul yes. exploration and the energetics and and things yes. like that. And and I, I how was the progress with the fibromyalgia? Like, how are you now? And how long was that? Tremendous. After just a couple of weeks of working his program, changing my diet, being on the supplements, dealing with more emotional stuff that was coming up, allowing myself to self-express with painting, with writing, with poetry, all that stuff, reading more, accepting more, and then starting with the, uh, the and dealing with the scoliosis, because that locks up certain muscles and nerves, and then you've got tightness, and then the body doesn't work. Once I learned that I was going to have to approach this, all of these areas at the same time, then the fibromyalgia is gone. And now I have maybe uh, maybe 2% of the pain that I used to have, and it only comes and goes once in a while. And the brain fog is lifting, and it's like, oh, wow, finally, I'm like free. And it's free, not just from the pain, but it's free from the past. It's free from all of those buried emotions, all that buried self-hate, all that buried, you know, conflict with the mom and the parents and the ancestral woundedness. And, and I'm clearing out the ancestral trauma too while I'm doing all of this. So I'm pretty busy, but it's really coming together in a beautiful way. And, and, it, and it breaks the cycle. Yes. Totally, yeah. it breaks the cycle. And that was the one thing that I think my spirit knew I needed to do. It was not just the fact that I had bad karma from past lives with all of these members of my family, but it's also the fact that I had to deal with their generational trauma, clear mm -hmm. all of that for them, for my peace of mind, for energy flow. And I could learn how to live better by integrating all of my parts. Now my intuition's alive and my creativity and, and my self-love and respect. Then I had to, then I recently just finished a class on self-love with Teal Swan. And that was amazing. I totally loved that. And then I decided I should teach an anxiety class because I can touch some of these points that other people are having and I can help them start to see the bigger, broader picture. So I wrote it out, but I haven't promoted it yet. And it's one of the things I need to, I need to get a team and a whole bunch of stuff, you know, to, to move Turning your, your, your wounding and your pain and your struggles into medicine. And mm -hmm. um, I can definitely- medicine is useful for other people. I can definitely relate to that. It, it seems like it's the only thing to do. <laughs> like it's, once I figured out a lot of this stuff for myself, I was like, well, yes. this is stuff that everybody needs to know. Like it, this is, this should be part of the human experience. Like everyone needs to know this. We, we, we operate in this society and this culture in such like a closed miniature minuscule kind of way um, due to, I mean, you touch on so many different disciplines and, and lineage of healing and different types of things. Like even intergenerational trauma, like some people may hear that in our audience and, and like roll their eyes or think like that's not a thing. Well, there's there's multiple levels on which that exists and shows up like one they've shown and I believe it's mice or rats or something 
12 or 13 generations, if a rat or mouse, I think it's, I don't remember, a rodent is yes. traumatized in some way by a sound or by a thing or whatever, yes. it's 12 or 13 generations later that their offspring still have a fear of that thing. And yes. so it changes yes. the genetics for at least 12 or 13 generations that we're aware of. And then also it's yes. passed down in the behaviors themselves. So yes. that's the more like obvious programming of this person abused this person who abused this person who abused this. Like if you, if you do any backstory on like serial killers or like abusers and rapists and these types of people, almost a hundred percent of them were abused as a child, like literally almost a hundred percent. And that it's this mm -hmm. passed down behavior in addition to the genetic switching. And so there's like people yeah. roll their eyes at that. And I used to be one of them. And there's, it's not only true, there's multiple levels on which it's true. Like there's different ways to look at it for the scientific mind. Go look at the epigenetics research for the less scientific mind. Just look at the way that it shows up. And, you know, uh, you yeah. mentioned that your mother was combative with her mother. Oh, all the time. Yeah. And so of course there's going to be a continuation of, you know, that, and you were combative with her and it was, yeah. you know, yeah. the reasons you were combative with her were probably the same reasons she was combative with yeah. her mother, who was likely combative with her mother. And um, mm -hmm. these are okay. things that are very, very real and that the child doesn't sign up for. <laughs> like, right. this is something you walk into and you're defenseless with. And then that shapes your, mm -hmm. you know, that shape that like, people say, oh, your, your mind shapes the world that you see. And that's true. But what they often leave out is that before that happens, the world shapes your mind. Like it puts the lenses through which you see things and experience yes. things yes. there. And then we operate from, from that, from the abused child, from the terrified brain, from the nervous system that's heightened, from the yes. people are dangerous, from the I can't have friends, from the whatever. And we don't realize that those are all multiple layers of masks like of you know yes, that can be removed <clears throat> and, and the thing that the thing that i want your listeners to understand is that you need a source of energy when you're doing all of this you need a really strong belief system in the power and the guidance and the wisdom of your higher self and until you get that i don't i think it's going to be very difficult to do this kind of a program and so as I was learning spirituality years ago, I was learning that what, what is the benefit? What's the purpose of us even being here? I had to go back very fundamental to that question. And what I was coming up with and what made the most sense and what everybody was saying is we're here to have experiences as a soul in a body conquering all of these challenges to create collective energy, collective consciousness for everybody. And if we decide we don't like something, we just change our thoughts about it and we move in a different direction. We don't have to be stuck. We don't have to perpetrate all those old family belief systems, those family woundedness, the hormonal changes, the ancestral panic, trauma. We don't have to do any of that. We can say, I'm done and I'm moving away. And, and I've done that several times and that's what gets me through. You have to have that really strong connection with your higher self. And then you have to understand you have a purpose here. And that purpose is to help elevate collective 
consciousness toward the good. I couldn't agree more. And I have come to similar conclusions in my own journey and with those that I've had the pleasure of walking with and, and learning from and learning with. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it, it really is so missed in our culture, all of these things. And not only missed like it's an accident, but intentionally suppressed and intentionally driven out because it's not the narrative. It's not the system. This is a very like structured patriarchal masculine type of system that doesn't involve things like energy and soul and spirit and purpose and connection and divine and higher self and all of that. Like you go to other cultures in the world. Sure. These things are commonly understood, especially like indigenous cultures and indigenous healing. Like Mm -hmm. this is all common sense to them. They hear somebody talk about this stuff and they're like, of course, this is how you do it. And then they would look at our medical model and be like, this is, this is insane. And so (laughs) like, of course, everybody's sick. Look at this. Look at how you live. Like it's, uh, I've had the pleasure of honor of learning from several wisdom keepers from indigenous traditions. And it's like, it's almost, they find it almost comical that it's like a mystery to us why everybody is sick and unhealthy and unhappy and diseased. They're just like, look at what you do. Like, look at how you live. Like I've gotten to learn from some students, direct students of the Dalai Lama when it comes to Tibetan Buddhism. And um, they said when he first came to the United States for the first time, and he met a bunch of Americans, he said, I don't, I can't teach these people because like we're so pulled away from what we really are by the time we're adults that like, he didn't even know how to reach them. Like he, he couldn't even, cause there's so many of these layers of trauma and story and misconceptions and walls and diversion. Like, and we're in his culture, like in Tibet and in the East, like there, they don't, they start teaching it as a child. Like they start teaching these practices as a child. And so that doesn't exist. And he was like, I don't even know how to reach these people. Now, obviously if anybody out there has read his books now or watched his videos or listened to the Dalai Lama talk, he's obviously figured out a great deal of how to reach the Western thinker or mind. Cause he's really kind of fun and brilliant to listen to. But at yeah. first he said, I don't know how to teach these people because we're so far removed. And in the functional medicine world, like the people who are part of our community and audience, they understand that and know that. And it's common sense from the aspect of like nutrition and lifestyle and like ways of living and movement and things like that. Like the paleo movement really brought that forward that we're like way out of touch with our natural way of being when it comes to what we eat and how we move and how we live our lives. But this other side of things with spirituality and emotions and, and, and the mental aspects and the stories and like the attunement and the child upbringing and the connection and the nervous system stuff, we are just as, as a society, just as like out of alignment with what produces health there, but that gets swept under the rug. Like there's, there's pills for that. Just give them the antidepressants or give them the, I saw an article yesterday. The headline was, more Americans than ever are depressed. We need new antidepressant drugs was the headline. (laughs) And it's like, no, that's not what you just deducted from that is not the, that's not the story. Like that's not the, right. that's insane. Like someone who understands these things could look at that and be like, this is completely insane (laughs) to, to think like, you know, no pill was going to help you get through that. All it could do is numb it out. And like you said, at the beginning, you numb that out and 
you miss everything else. You, you do. Well, uh, when I lived in the Bay Area, I got to know some Indian families very well. And their lifestyle, their diet, their belief mm. system, their everything, their community, their sense of community was so strong. And I was just, I was in awe. I would just go every day and, you know, I was going, okay, what can you teach me today? I want to learn this. And what, yeah. what is this book about? And what's this theory about? And what's, you know. Well, they're less removed from the original way. Yes. Like they're less modern, like, I don't want to say less modernized because that's usually used as like some sort of an insult, but like yes. less modern societyized. Like it's been like in, in the U S you don't see Americans living in like family units and communities. Like most people don't know who their neighbors are. There's no right. sense of that as rugged individualism. And then you see the immigrant communities in this, in this country and they're yes. close together. They work together. The family units are in one house or in a neighborhood or they all know each other and it's this thing well no kidding <laughs> that that's what so impressed me it was not just their diet and mm -hmm. it wasn't that they were really more healthy than i was they got colds and all this kind of stuff too because they ate a lot of dairy but they had a uh, peace there was peace in their soul there was peace in their mind they knew what their belief systems were around religion and spirituality. They, they knew who they were, what they could do, and they had a community. They had a community. I mean, they were tight. They got these Yahoo pages. They got this group. They got that group. They mm -hmm. want something. They're on. Helps with each other's kids, like communicating, family getting time. jobs for each other. Like it's. Yes. Jobs. Yeah. Yeah, where, yeah. where do you where do you buy this kind of food and where mm -hmm. do you buy that kind of vegetable and how do you yeah. deal with this at the school and they're communicating all the time sharing mm -hmm. all this information everybody knows everybody else's business and it's okay it's yeah. not gossipy and it's not mm -hmm. belittling degrading it's community it's like a village like a tribe it's like a village like yeah. a tribe and i'm going oh my god we have missed that in our whole society so how do i get that where can i be part of that I want to be part of the tribe. Where's, where do I sign up? You know, yeah. and they say you're not Indian. So shoot, <laughs> <laughs> give me a do-over next time. I'm not Indian. Maybe yeah. next reincarnation. <laughs> but it's possible. There's ways to create that, and there's ways to find that, and there's ways to to explore that, and um, like that 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 is an essential part of healing that most people miss out on too. Like a lot of our audience, a, a common theme that I see in the chat rooms during our webinars and things is like how do I get my family on board with this? Or how do I, you know, I don't have anyone to support me or I don't know people like you guys in real life. How do I find any people? And it's a, it's a real challenge. Like it makes doing any of this stuff much harder if, if you don't, if you don't have that, that support. So, um, well, we're at about time and this has been really enriching, I feel. And, and I Thank hope you. that, that everybody can appreciate you know, the, I understand the amount of work that you've done. Um, I, I have an understanding of what are the results of what you went through and, and what is that, where does that leave someone and what's needed to move through that and how much this is not like a snap your fingers and decide I'm better type of scenario. Like a lot of the things you've mentioned are a lot of work and they were, they were a lot of work and I yeah. worked really hard at least 10 years on this. And then like five, 10 years before that, when I was learning to write, learning to feel, learning to do all that stuff, 
it's been a long journey and i've had to have had to drop connections with certain people mm -hmm. i've had to drop connections with certain programs i had to take mds out of my life put you know functional medicine people in i've had to adjust all of those things so that i'm doing what's good for me so then bringing in resources from me and to finally get to the point where you start looking at, yeah, me is important. And I got to have a community of, of support people here, medical, you know, mm -hmm. spiritual people, all that around me to support me. That's, that's a huge step to make too. And that's, that's another reason why I'll never go back to live in the Midwest. It's just not that. Hey, as an Illinois boy who lives in California, <laughs> I can't uh, disagree with your assessment there. Um, there's, I will also not be moving back to the Midwest anytime soon. And I've actually been to Des Moines, Iowa several times and uh, Omaha and those areas. So I'm pretty familiar with the vast amount of nothing that's there and <laughs> the, the distance that was probably between your house and the nearest people and then like the social disconnect yes. that goes on with that, especially um, yeah. Yeah, in your situation. So uh, kudos to you and thanks for, Thank you. for sharing it. And now you do work to help others. My work is on a website called coachingbyamber.com. And on that website are also links to my social media channels. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, do a little on Instagram now and then. And I'm soon going to be moving on to all the new social media platforms that are out there because wow. I think they're going to be really valuable. So I have a couple of uh, web Facebook groups. I have a transform childhood experiences, trauma, and stress. And I have one on anxiety team. Great. So they can find me on Facebook, any of those groups and uh, send me some questions and comments and whatever. I've just made some posts now and I've got some new blogs coming up and I've written two books. Those books are on my website pages. Congratulations on that. That's no small Thank feat. You. I've kicked around the idea a few times and the scale of it always gets the best of me. And I think, no, you can't do that right now. So it's, at it's some huge, point I'll jump in, but it's a big, I have a lot of friends who are authors. I know what, I know what that is. And so congrats on that. And it, it is a huge, uh, it, it's a huge energy thing to do that. And it's, and that's even the small part. Marketing is the, the big mm. picture here, the big the big expense, the big time endeavor, everything. Yeah. So well, I've got to boost that all up, but hopefully we help out a little bit with that. Everybody head over and check out Amber's work and her books and her thank Facebook you. groups and everything else. And thank you I for reaching out. Services. I do really good services. I'm sure that you do. You're working from experience and you can I understand do. where people are at. And that's, that's a huge thing um, in helping people heal in any regard is being able to see where they are and understand where they are and, and for them to feel seen and understood. And so, um, you have, unfortunately, all of the experiences necessary to be able to, <laughs> to do that, but then those, those burdens and those pains become gifts. So they do. it's, uh, they do. really inspiring. So thank you for reaching out and, and for, volunteering to share and for coming on and sharing your story and for everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Best of luck, Nico. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT Quick Start Bundle, which includes four full-length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. 
If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.